So now if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 3 through 8. We'll read the text. We'll pray another short prayer, and then we will get after it. All right? So Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we ask that you'd make this word come alive in our hearts and our minds, and that uh, we would, um, uh, that the, the meditations of our heart would, would be pleasing to you and pleasing in your sight this morning. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, unlike other staff members on this church, the, 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 at the church, I'm not a dork. Okay. Never have been one. Don't plan on starting. But <laughs> um, I need to take a drink after that one. Uh, I started reading the book called The Hobbit. Oh my gosh, it's great, and I cannot put it down. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, he's he's talking already. Uh, so so uh, I, I started reading The Hobbit, and my gosh, I can't put it down. And I'm not a person who's in the, these kinds of books, but I but I started it, and, and I could, can't put it down. But just listen, if you have never read it, just listen to what's written on the inside of the cover. Listen to what's written on the inside of the cover. Bilbo Baggins is a hobbit who enjoys the comfortable unambitious life, rarely traveling any farther from his pantry or his cellar. But his contentment is disturbed when the wizard Gandalf and a company of dwarves arrive on his front doorstep one day to whisk him away on an adventure. They launched a plot to raid the treasure hoard guarded by the smog, the magnificent dragon, a large and very dangerous dragon. Bilbo is reluctant to take part in this quest, but he surprises even himself by his resourcefulness and his skills as a burglar. And the first, one of the first lines in the opening page says this, the hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit. His name was Baggins. Baggins had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for the time uh, out of, and out of the mind of people, they were considered very respectable not only because most of them were rich, but also because they never had any adventure or did anything unexpected. Now just picture this. You have this little Weasley of a guy who's very comfortable, doesn't want to do anything, never, 
uh, go, goes on any adventure, then all of a sudden this guy named Gandalf whisks into his life with 12 dwarves, and man, does that guy's life change. Pretty soon, within the next few pages, he's in a mountainside fighting goblins. Goblins aren't real, it's just a fantasy story, okay? Just so we're clear on that. So he's in the mountainside fighting goblins. Pretty soon, he's running away and trying to escape a wild pack of wolves, and then all of a sudden, he's being whisked away by a bunch of eagles, and all they're on, they're on this way to do this magnificent thing of slaying a dragon. And Bilbo even had this reputation uh, of not being very adventurous, not stepping out of his comfort zone until somebody stepped into his life and whisked him away. Somebody else stepped into his life and whisked them away. There's something about adventure stories, whether it be The Hobbit or some movie you've watched a hundred times, that we just get drawn, am I right? That we just get drawn into adventure stories. Things that are oh, that just seem bigger than us, and they draw us into, and we can imagine ourselves being those characters. Now, now here, here, here's what I'm going to tell you as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you have been brought into and are part of the greatest adventure story ever being told, only it's not a fantasy, it's a reality playing out before our very eyes. We started in Genesis 1, and it's unfolding all the way to creation. Right now, God is in the process of of building up his local church and spreading out and flourishing the kingdom. And his people are part of that. If you're in Romans chapter 12, if you're in Romans chapter 12, I want you to look at what Paul says in verse 2. We, we talked about this last time I was in the pulpit. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what he's going to do is he's going to start to put some meat on this in chapters or in verses 3 through 8. He's going to tell us to begin to think about ourselves in light of the mercies of God or the grace of God. He's going to tell us to think about ourselves in a bodily fashion bodily as a church and he's going to be able it's hard to tell us to think about ourselves properly all under the guise of the grace that has changed you and i that has brought us into the family and not only has brought us into the family has now gifted us to serve this church now let me just put this clearly as I, I can, going on the great adventure with the local church often looks very, 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 very ordinary. Very ordinary. But God in his graciousness has given gifts to men and women to serve his son's body and see the spreading and flourishing of the kingdom. So, if you're looking for an outline for your note-takers this morning, it's this. Title of the message is Thinking About Grace. Point number one is Thinking Soberly. 
verse 3. Point number 3, thinking bodily, verses 4 and 5. And then verses 6 through 8, thinking properly. So thinking soberly, thinking bodily, thinking uh, properly. All under thinking about grace. So let's jump into the text this morning. Let's jump into the text this morning. Starting in verse 3. Starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. That's Paul saying right there speaking. So for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, that is the Roman church, which was comprised of both Jew and Gentile, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, uh-oh, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So look again at what Paul says. For by the grace given to me, I say to you. Remember who's writing that this, this is the Apostle Paul. And remember what he was doing when he was on his way. Uh, or when the grace of God literally showed him the light, knocked him down. And God's grace changed his life forever. He was on his way to murder Christians have them imprisoned. And yet he can say, for by the grace given to me, this is what, how I have the authority to say what I say to you. God gave me this position of apostleship. Romans chapter, five, Romans chapter 1 verse 5, uh, he gave me this gift of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So I say, for by the grace given to me, that's Paul, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, do you have anybody in mind yet about who shouldn't think too highly of themselves? Anybody? Don't say it out loud. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, but look at what he says. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Why? Well, he tells us. We think about ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Let me read that sentence one more time. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now we need to pause here for a second. Um, the measure of faith is a tricky phrase uh, that I'm, that, that I'm going to be honest, I really needed a lot of help with. And, and I'm not going to spill everything that I read this week, but just suffice it to say there's two main interpretations. One would be this, uh, quoting Thomas Schreiner here, that the word measure here could mean quantity or the amount given. So think about a measuring cup. You, 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 you stick amount amount of something, whether it be water, milk, whatever you're going to pour into ingredients, measuring cup. The second would be, the word measure would be the standard of measurement. Now this is the view I would take, and I'm proceeding with all the humility of being right. But Thomas Schreiner, who is way smarter than me, and I'll ever be, holds the view one, but he has a great definition of view two, and this is what he says. The believers are called to estimate themselves either in accord with the objective standard of the gospel 
or the reference to the standard of the faith of Jesus Christ himself. So my understanding is it's the, 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 the standard of faith, the measure of faith. What Paul has lined up for us in Romans chapter 1 through 11. Whenever you get into chapter 12 and on in Romans, you cannot forget the gospel line that Paul has laid forth for us, setting out this, that all men are sinners condemned under the just wrath of God, but God in his goodness and kindness, while we were yet his enemies, sent forth his son to die in our place. And those who place their faith in Jesus are what we call justified. They're made right with God. We have, uh, Christ takes on our our sin, we take on the righteousness of Christ. It's called the great exchange. So that's the standard of faith that Paul has laid out for us, the gospel. And it's in light of that, it's in light of that, that you and I are to think of ourselves, to judge ourselves. So let's go back to that other phrase. Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to you, each one of you in this church, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And if the standard that we may think about ourselves by, it's going to work twofold. One is, it eliminates all boasting in the body of Christ. Why? Because you were saved by grace. which is a free gift, which means not merit, not work, but it's been given to you. You were a great sinner, but you have a great Savior. When it comes to thinking too highly of ourselves, and not to get too psychological here, um, but it plays itself out in two ways. And I, I probably learned this from Tim Keller, maybe. Um, that it plays itself, in two, plays itself out in two ways. That it can play out in arrogance, which we've just discussed. Or, or, or you can just be like, woe is me, this false humility, Eeyore all the time. Uh, woe is me. Like, dude, you're saved. Like, what? what? <laughs> What's your problem? That was a little harsh, but uh, you, you, you see what I'm saying. You can either be arrogant or, or you can be woe is me. It's the two sides of the same coin rooted in that ugly sin of pride. But when we think about ourselves as believers with sober judgment, according to the gospel, according to our Savior Jesus Christ, we, it eliminates all boasting, all arrogance. We all kneel before the cross together saying, I am a great sinner. Jesus, you are a great Savior. But also, listen to this. Do you ever think about who you are in Christ? Remember, we're talking about the gospel line, the gospel standard that has been set forth for us in Romans. This is what Paul says in just a, a few random verses. Do you ever think about yourself like this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's who you are in Christ. If the Spirit of Him who raised you from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. No condemnation. Spiritual life. You are a son of God. Woe is me. What? And as we're going to see, you have been gifted by his grace also. I want to pause here for a second. Because Paul says to the church, to believers, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renew of your mind. Um, but then he tells us down at the bottom here, or the verse we're in, to think about yourself with sober judgment. And he's specifically talking to believers, but I want to just take a second to talk to those of you who are not, who are not Christians. And it may be here that you're here for the first time. It may be that you sit here week after week and you still have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I would tell you the same thing. Think about and assess yourself with sober judgment. That means in reality what is true, not just the fantasy version of yourself and your spiritual status. If you think about yourself with sober judgment, according to the Scriptures, if you have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, this is what sober judgment means to you. You were outside of Christ in your sins, and if you were to die today, you would be without hope for all eternity. That's your reality. <laughs> I can tell you as a staff and as elders, we're, we're pleading with the Lord uh, on your behalf that he would do a great work in your heart. So maybe today is a day that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He died in your place and you find new life in Christ. So think soberly about yourself. Think about yourself in the light of God's grace, how he's the one who saved you. We owe everything to Jesus. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. Think about yourself soberly, properly, accurately, but we also think bodily. We think bodily. Look at what Paul goes on to say, verse 4. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Let's go back up to verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Paul's going to use this great illustration for us. He's going to take the illustration of a physical body and use it as a metaphor to help us understand how the church body, the family of God, the body of Christ is the function. So if you think about your, your body, it's, it's, it's one entity. Yet, it has many members. 
and they work together. They function together to accomplish a purpose. Now think about the, the, the simplest act, physical act there is. Walk, I, know, I realize there's people who are injured here, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, but the, the, the simplest act of, of anything is walking. You don't really think about it, but think about everything that has to be engaged when you walk. You stand up, your quad muscles have to work, your, your hamstrings have to work, your ankles are supposed to work, your calves are supposed to be engaged, your stomach muscles are supposed to be engaged, and believe me, you have them. Okay, y'all got stomach muscles somewhere. <laughs> they, they, are, they have to work. If you're really cool, you get the arm swing. If you're Kendall Hunter, you, you know, you're cool. And, and you get the arm swing going. That's right, buddy. <laughs> and, and so all those things come together and they function independently to do what? To move the body. God and his creativity in Genesis chapter 1 created our physical body created us male and female gave us everything, head, toes everything and they're all important, you ever think about your big toe every day, alright, well, here goes this illustration, never mind <laughs> most of us don't there's a few of us that do apparently but if you've never thought about your big toe, what happens in the middle of the night when you stove it? And you're on the ground writhing in pain. Now, if it's not you, it's hilarious. But if it is you, what's that next step like? It's painful. And you realize how much of a load that bugger carries. It's important. It's important, and so is every member of the body of Christ. We're all members. Look at what he goes on to say, and I want to zero in on this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are one body in Christ. There are many there's many metaphors in, in the New Testament for the church of God, but right here what Paul's telling us is that we're the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. We are members one of another in Christ. We are Christ's body, and each one of us in here are members of that body. We have a different function to serve, to move the, 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 the body in, in a direction. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Why do we take church membership here so seriously? We're not a country club. We're not a VFW. We're not target. We're none of those things. Their objective is simply to keep you happy. Our objective is to keep us all holy. Those aren't necessarily uh, against each other. They can be, depending. But, but, we are the body of Christ. And you know why each one of my members, my fingers, my toes, my, 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 my heart, whatever, have life in them? 
and they can all work together because they all have the same blood flowing through them and giving them life. So do we. Each one of us here who is in Christ has been saved by the same blood. Yeah, amen. By the blood of Christ, we are one body. I was talking to a friend of mine a month ago. So we were out to dinner, and uh, he was in the military and um, served two tours uh, in the Middle East and, and was injured over there. And so we were sitting there at dinner, and I, I asked him this question. I said, hey, man, um, did, here's how I asked it. Here, I'll tell you what I was thinking. Did you ever get upset having to receive a directive from a superior who had never seen the front lines. That's how I asked the question. What I was thinking is, <laughs> do you ever get upset taking, a, taking a, a, a direct order from some clown with a couple master's degrees that's never heard a bullet whiz by his head or whistle by his head? You, you hunters know that sound. Zing! You, you've heard it before. Does that ever bother you? And he looked at me, no joking, none. He's like, Man, everybody's important and has their role to play. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, All Around Ministry, is a collection of lectures uh, given to pastors. And um, he, he was, as he was giving lectures to some young pastors, you guys, guys, remember this. You're not the only soldier on the battlefield. You are not the only soldier on the battlefield. You're not the only member of the body. We all function together by God's design. We all function together by God's design. So think. Um, think soberly. Think bodily. And finally, think properly. Think properly. And I need a little help with this one too, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. Verse 6 is easy to understand. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then Paul's going to go on to, to list some, some different gifts. This is an exhaustive list. You can read 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, give you a fuller picture of, of the gifts that Paul lists in the New Testament. But here uh, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Look again um, back at verse 1, or I'm sorry, verse 3. The first verse we looked at. For by the grace given to me. That's Paul having grace given to him. Look at what he says to us in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He's about to tell us that each one of us has been gifted by God with spiritual gifts used in the service of the body. So says Ephesians chapter 4. But look at the most important thing. Who is the source of the gifting? Here God is in Ephesians chapter 4. It's Jesus Christ. He led captives and gave gifts to men. The source is God. What does that mean practically? He decided who got what? He chose who got what? 
And what that also means, if you have a gift to use within this church, which you do, uh, to use within this church, you don't own it, you didn't deserve it, and it's yours to be stewarded. And not for yourself, but for the body of Christ. But for the body of Christ. The source is God. They're called gifts of grace for a reason. He chose who got what. What was what? Paul says, for the grace given to me, that's why I'm a missionary who's taken the gospel to the Gentiles. For by the grace given to us, that's why some of us are teachers. Some of us can be leaders. Some of us can exhort. Some of us can serve better than others. Have you ever made fun of a trust fund kid? You know the, the one I'm talking about? Maybe you went to high school with them. Or they drew, drove the nicest car. And they had all the cool clothes. And maybe some of them are rich celebrities on TV. And what you say is, oh, the only reason they can do that is because they got, whose money? Daddy's. You are playing with daddy's money. It's not yours. He gave it to you to use to serve within this church. So we, though many, uh, are, are, so we, though many, are one body, and we are to think properly about the gifts God has given us to be used. They're not to be sat upon, they're to be used in His service. Now, look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says starting in verse 7. We're going to buzz through these pretty quickly. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, I would take again that word faith there the same as, as I did in, 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 in verse 3. It's the standard of faith. Don't go outside of, of the revealed word of God. So if, proportion, if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, words of faith must conform to God's revealed word, that standard set before us. If in serving our serving, yes, we are all co- called to serve one another, but there are going to be people who are better at it. Uh, if the one who teaches in his teaching, and I just want to say this because I'm teaching, no teacher bats a thousand. Uh, when they teach, we've blown it. I've blown it. I always just look over at my wife's face and she confirms it. And so I'm not going to look right now. Uh, <laughs> But do you learn? Is your heart, in, is your mind informed or heart engaged when the teacher is teaching? And it fits in um, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes generously, the one who leads. God has raised up men in this church who have the ability to lead, make hard decisions, and also to take hits when they're necessary for the body. God has appointed men and given them the ability to do that, but the lead with zeal, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But what I want you to notice, and this was the difficult part, look at what Paul says, starting in verse 7. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one exhorts in his exhortation, thanks Paul, that's real clear. If it's exhorting in your exhortation, here's what, listen to what Christopher Ash says. This is what Christopher Ash says. The governing principle here seems to be that when we use a gift, we ought to simply use it in order to achieve what the gift is given for, and not in the service of some hidden self-agenda. This is especially important for public gifts, 
We lead to lead, we teach to teach, we exhort to exhort, we exhort to exhort. We do this because we belong to one another in Christ, as Paul has just said in the previous verses, and are humbled together under grace. Listen to that last line again. We do this because we belong to one another in Christ and are humbled together under grace. And can I just be honest with you for a second? I'm going to be. It's not really a question. We, well, I'm going to speak for myself. As pastors, you're not exempt from this. Especially when you're up front. The praise of man and the pride of the heart is probably one of the most, if not the most dangerous drug on the planet. And I can stand up here and, oh, how my heart desires so much to say, not to me, oh God, not to me, but to your name be glory. And it can be a fight. I'll say that, but add on. How am I throwing a little my way too? That's sinful. It's sinful. And it's easy to fall into that trap. But that takes us back to, that takes us back to, think about this, put this together. It takes us back to verse 3. Think about yourself with sober judgment, Jeremy. By the standard of faith, the measure of faith God has assigned, the good news of the gospel that saved you, you owe everything to Christ. And He's the one who's given you the ability and the opportunity to serve Him in this way. And it's the same for you. It's the same for you. We exist to glorify God. Not ourselves. So let's begin to wrap things up with some practical questions. Some practical questions. And I'll get through these quickly. So how do I discover my gift? It's really not that complicated. Get in the life of the get involved in the life of the church. Get involved in the life of the church. We'll figure it out. Get in relationship with people and we'll figure it out. But I will say this one thing. Tom Schreiner says this very wisely. Other members of the body of Christ can and must help us discern and confirm the gifts of our lives. Sometimes they help us see that the gift we thought we had isn't really the area that we should concentrate our energies after all. So here's a question for those of you who know us. Who would you rather hear saying, me or my wife? Not all at once. Okay. You're so kind. The need to discern our calling is immensely practical. You may not be gifted musically or eloquent speaker, but you notice those in pain and reach out to them. Mercy, willingly, or serve behind the scenes. We are to bloom where God has planted us and find a niche where God has placed us and then live with all of our strength for God's glory. He goes on to write this great little application how to, when we talk about our spiritual gifts and the ways wired you. you. You may long for greatness in a platform God never intended for you. You may long for a greatness and a platform 
that God never intended for you. Golf has become so much more enjoyable for me when I figured out I'm never going to be Tiger Woods. <laughs> Laugh. I stank, stunk, stank. <laughs> I do stink and I will stink. It's never going to happen. But I want to offer, and I, I do need to say this, I want to I say one little caveat to us as a family. Please don't ever use the excuse when asked to serve, that's not my gift. Just give a real concrete example. There is no reason in a church our size that the nursery should never be fully staffed. That just shouldn't happen. Please don't use that excuse. Sometimes we just need to roll up our sleeves and do what we got to do. That's part of being the body. Not to negate everything I said, there are going to be things you excel in, and we're thankful for that. But don't use it's not my gift as an excuse not to serve. Finally, how can I use my gifts? How can I use my gifts? I wanted you, Paul says, again, I want you to notice this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's not a request, that's a command. It's not a request, it's a command. So how do we use our gifts in a church this size? Let me say this to start off. You do not need a position or a program to use your gift. If you have the gift of teaching, you don't need to start your own Bible study. You need to grab the mom of young children, if you're a female, and meet with her once a week and walk through the book one-to-one with her, studying a particular text or book of the Bible. That's a function of teaching. If you have the gift of service, you have the gift of service, man, we have more people here that need an hour of rest from taking care of someone in their home that's homebound so they can sit and have a cup of coffee. That is how the body of Christ functions. Yes, we are all gifted. We are all gifted, and there are multiple, all multiple opportunities to, to use them. But let me say again, you don't need a position or program to operate in that way. And then to begin to wrap things up before we begin to take communion, let me just say this again. God has graciously given a diversity of gifts to the members of his body to be used properly for the building up of the local church and the spreading of the kingdom. Remember Bilbo Baggins, he was reluctant to take part in the quest, but even he was surprised and what he was able to accomplish. Let me, let me just say this. Don't be surprised what you were able to be accomplished. What, what, don't be surprised by what you were able to accomplish. But remember what Ephesians says. God can do more in us, in us and through us than we could ever ask or imagine. He's going to accomplish it through you. By His grace. And by his gifts. Amen? Amen.